guys, what's going on? It is I, one of your many dungeon masters or game masters or whatever here on Terrible Warriors. It is I, Mike the Birdman Dodd from ThisWeekInGeek.net. And as you may guess, I'm actually not game mastering a game at this particular time. No, I'm actually doing one of these cool interviews as we slide into the month of November. Hopefully you are wrapped up warm in blankets with a nice book. And we're going to talk about a really cool book today. In fact, a brand new game, which may be coming to the show later on this year, perhaps brought to you by first-time GM Alex, as you've been hearing him on the Cambridge Chronicles over the past couple of weeks. I'm talking with Owen Casey Stevens. He is one of the coolest guys over at Paizo Publishing, but he also does work for Rogue Genius Games, Green Ronin. And it's a name, if you're in the RPG industry, you've definitely heard it over the last little while. He is the creative design lead for one of the neatest games to come out over this past year, and it's one that kind of seems like the natural eh, evolution of the property, yet was completely unexpected when I heard about it. What am I talking about? I'm talking about Paizo Publishing's Starfinder, and you may be thinking, Mike, it says Pathfinder in space. That's where you are wrong, sir, and I want to welcome Owen to the show. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, Owen. Like, I have been following Starfinder for quite some time. What is Starfinder? Because it's just, it's much more than just Pathfinder in space. Yeah. So the Starfinder role-playing game is built on the idea that we took the fantasy universe that Paizo built for Pathfinder with all of the gods and backstory and history and planets, all of that, and we put it way into the future. So we advanced that timeline by hundreds or thousands of years so that you end up with a lot of science fiction tropes mixed in with all the fantasy. So we refer to it as a science fantasy setting. Um, And so while it is set in the future of the same world, or at least one possible future, uh, when you are doing a game with a lot of science fiction elements, there are some different rules needs. So in addition to having had a development of the setting, we decided to sit down and have a development of the rules. So the Starfinder role-playing game, while very familiar to people who are familiar with Pathfinder or some of the RPGs that came before it in the same line of game design, uh, Starfinder is different, and we handle a lot of things very differently so that it will focus on the things that we want to handle well in Starfinder and does not perhaps spend as much time on concepts that we don't consider as relevant now that we're in the far-flung future. So, for example, we've got an entire set of starship combat rules so that if you all want to have your intrepid band of adventurers on a small armed tramp freighter fight off a bunch of attackers or sneak around a giant dreadnought or whatever, there are rules in place to do that together as a group. Because you've had a chance to advance the setting so far in the future, but also because this game is derivative from Pathfinder, that means there's some there's some compatibility, right? Yeah, there is some compatibility. Um, so it is relatively straightforward, for example, to take a Pathfinder monster and update it to run it in Starfinder. Um, I've gotten to the point with just a little experience that I can I can do that on the fly. So I can crack open a Pathfinder adventure and run it for Starfinder players pretty much real time. Uh, other things take a little more work to convert. It's a lot like converting one of the, say, 3.0 maybe versions of the game to Pathfinder. There are some things that we handle differently, but we have some guidance on how to do that in the core rulebook and what we call the legacy section. That's also where we go ahead and do the work for you to give you full playable versions of all of the fantasy races that record a Pathfinder. So if 
what you want is a dwarf or an elf or a half-orc in space. We've got the rules for that, even though what we call the core races, the ones that we are mostly focusing on, are a somewhat different selection of races than that. Now, speaking of races, what are some of the new races? Because I saw some of them. There's these reptilian guys, and there's androids. Like, what? Like who are the new races to Starfinder now? Yeah, so we've got sort of two levels of new in the races. Um, we still do humans because humans are something that we know and understand better than most of our alien races, so that's still core. Uh, there are some science fiction-like races that showed up before in Pathfinder. That includes androids, which have shown up in Pathfinder, um, which are artificially created beings, but they are still sentient, sapient, living creatures, even though their bodies were, were built artificially instead of born. Um, there are Kasatha, who come from the planet Kasath and are a four-armed race uh, from well outside the, the solar system that Pathfinder was set in and are relatively new arrivals to that system in Starfinder. Uh, and there are Lashunta, who are native to Castrovel, which is another planet in the same solar system as the homeworld that we were using in Pathfinder, which we had touched on before, but we had never had as a core race, so we're doing a lot more things with them. And in addition to that, uh, oh, and there are the Yisoki, who are a specific breed of rat folk who are also native to uh, one of the other planets in the system other than where we sent most of our Pathfinder stories. Then in addition to those, we have two truly new races that we've never dealt with or mentioned before back in Pathfinder, and those are the Shirin, which are a telepathic insect race of people who actually are a splinter group from a huge vile, dangerous organization known as the Swarm, which is sort of like Star Locust. They're spreading out and, and breeding, but they're a giant hive mind. And so the Sheeran are a group of them who, quite a while ago, split off and, and discovered individuality and are now sort of addicted to the concept of individuality. So those are also newcomers to the system. And there are the Vesk, which are a large uh, not size large, but a, a meaty lizard race who uh, actually built their own star empire, the Vescarium and were originally in a shooting war with the people of the uh, the Starfinder core setting. We call that solar system the Pact Worlds because there is a giant pact, an agreement that keeps most of those worlds on roughly the same political pe feature as least as far as external things are concerned, even though they run their things, their, their planets individually. So the Vesk are core because there are a lot of Vesk running around in the Pact Worlds. So there's now an alliance between the Pact Worlds and the Vescarium. But that's a relatively new thing that has happened in the timeline. So speaking of timeline, one of the things that sets Starfinder unique from Pathfinder is it takes the world of Galarian and just takes it out. Can you explain that to me? Because I thought this was a really cool idea. Sure. So in order to understand that Galarian is missing, first you have to understand the gap. Um, the gap is a period that is at least centuries long, and no one is sure exactly how long it is, that is in the past that there are no records and no memories and no information about what happened during that time. So for this period of time, no one knows who was at war or who discovered what. None of that information is available. And the gap basically begins shortly after the current timeline in Pathfinder. So whatever, you've got a Pathfinder group, whatever you all are doing, the day after your current campaign ends, that's when the gap starts. It runs all the way up to just a few centuries before the current timeline in Starfinder. The advantage to having the gap is that instead of saying, hey, if you want to play in Starfinder, you have to understand the 10,000 years of history we already have in Pathfinder, plus however many centuries we wanted to add from that point to the current timeline in Starfinder. Instead, all you really need to know is a short timeline of a few hundred years of really core information, and everything behind that is a blank anyway. 
at some point during that blink, at some point during that time that no one remembers what happened and no one can find what happened and all records were erased and all efforts at divination fail, at some point during that gap, Galarian and its moon disappeared. And any time anyone tries to get information about it, if they try to, to go far away and look back in time and, and uh, see if the light from it is just coming or if they use divination spells or whatever they try... It's possible to be told by the gods or, or various magics that Galarian still exists, and it's fine, it's safe, but not where it is, why it was removed, or what's happening to it. So Galarian itself is gone, and it has been replaced in its orbit by a station called Absalom Station. And no one's sure who built it or why or when, because that also happened during the Gap, but Absalom Station is sort of the cultural center of the Pact Worlds at this point, and it is the in quotes, homeworld of humanity and dwarves and the Nuar and a lot of other races that used to live on Galarian before it went poof. See, I think that's a tremendously neat idea that it doesn't invalidate your campaign and the fact that uh, if you want to fill in the gaps, you can, you don't have to. And now that you've opened up the system where Galarian was, as you said, the Pact Worlds, and you can explore beyond that, and that's kind of what this game's about, to figure out what happened with the gap if you want, but you can also explore the universe such as it is. Sure. I mean, the gap is a big mystery, and obviously big mysteries cause people to investigate it. Just like, for example, dark matter is a big mastery in the real world, and there are colleges and groups and, and scientists who spend their lives investigating the question of what is dark matter, where does it come from? Um, but the world goes on without that. So if you want to be involved in that big mystery, there's certainly the Starfinder Society who are interested in, at the very least, pushing at the edges of that timeline to see if they can figure out what happened one day before everyone remembers, or two days, or what, what are the, the absolute limits of what you can learn. Um, but there are lots of other things going on, too. There are major threats moving around. There's... There's uh, the Bone Fleet, which is a giant military starship fleet of undead, and there's the Swarm, which I already mentioned, and there are things like Reptoys and Greys and no one's sure what they're doing, uh, and just space pirates and mega corporations and all the stuff that you would expect in any science fiction or fantasy setting on top of that. So it's a, a large setting that gives us a lot of things that you can focus on if you want, and by removing Galarian, one of the things we do is encourage people to move beyond what everyone knows about Pathfinder and start looking elsewhere for that exploration field. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's something that it's opened up my mind to new possibilities, as you describe it as sort of like space fantasy. And I guess the closest analogy I've experienced personally is Star Wars. But when I think about the possibilities with Starfinder, I could have a plasma rifle and be fighting a lich. Yeah. I could be fighting these reptilian guys and have one of them be a cleric or a modern-day bard, but I could also have them be an operative or a technomancer. The possibilities for party for party creation are really interesting. The fact that you've mashed together fantasy and sci-fi in such a unique way, I think anyway, that I think games set in this universe are going to be interesting. I mean, I really can't wait to see some of the splat books that come out for this and the adventure paths involving Absalon Station and whatnot. I know uh, as of this recording, uh, the Alien book is going to be coming out really soon. Yeah, uh, Alien Archive is just out. Uh, it was in... Uh 
mid-October it came out, so some people already have it in hands and other people don't. Um, and it does do a lot to to expand what we want people to see as a natural part of the setting. I mean, for example, the Alien Archive has dragons in it, and the illustration of the dragon, it's a big blue dragon, great. And it's got a giant plasma cannon mounted on its shoulder. So Jeez. that that tells you, yes, there are dragons, and they are they are spellcasters, they're dangerous combatants, and, and they have all the advantages they always had. But they also have access to cybernetics and spaceships and grenade launchers if they want them. <laughs> it basically takes Shadowrun's idea of the dragon and ramps it up to 11, so to speak, which is something I'd never thought I'd see a dragon using a plasma cannon. Um, yeah, I mean, Shadowrun is certainly a famous example of vi- mixing technology and uh, fantasy, and we, we listed it on our list of inspirations. Uh, I think another common world that people may see as a good mix of fantasy and technology is Warhammer 40K, which has you know, psychers instead of magic, but it's got demons and teleportation and, and the ability to to empower weapons with your mind, as well as uh, technology priests and space marines and genetically engineered soldiers and gene stealers and all sorts of stuff that is all crammed in there. So those are both examples of the sort of science fantasy world we're looking at. It's interesting you mentioned Star Wars, because Star Wars certainly has the Force and some other lesser explained things that certainly feel like some form of magic but of course star trek even back to the original series star trek they actually ran into the god apollo so while most star trek stories don't focus on sort of that fantasy element it's something that's in that universe that you can encounter periodically man like there's so many possibilities for like kind of stories here and the fact that starfinder is so new it's easy to get in on the ground floor which is kind of something with with rpgs where if you can get right in at the first book and you can catch up and keep up with the lore it opens up the possibilities for you as a game master and as a player to keep things interesting and spicy in your campaign now one of the things i I would love to talk about because i don't know a lot about this i'm just reading the book now um, starships are a huge part of this and designing them and making them because in Pathfinder you could design castles and holds and whatnot, but nothing like a starship at least in my games anyway yes I mean there are things like uh, the Skull and Shackles adventure path for Pathfinder where you've, you've got for instance a pirate ship which is similar in some ways but so Starfinder uh has as an option that the players will have a starship. And we assume that most adventure groups will have a starship. But the GM is perfectly capable of saying, yeah, this game is set entirely on Absalom Station, so you all don't need a starship. And that's fine, because the resources are kept separate. So if the GM gives you all a starship, that does not impact how much money or how many feats you have available to also be useful with just a plasma cannon. Uh, the system was designed uh, initially by Jason Bowman, uh, who's our director of games, and it was refined by Jason Keeley, who did a lot of playtesting with it. And so the system says, okay, at first level, here are the rules for building your own starship. And when you're running a starship, everyone can take a role on that starship during starship combat. So you might be acting as the science officer or the engineer or gunner or the pilot. Uh, and most of those roles, multiple people can take that role, or you can even change roles depending on what needs to be happening in any given scene. And so everyone has something to do every round, and several of them are very different things. So you can take the skills and abilities that your character has naturally, just already, and use those in starship combat. So you don't have to say, hey, 
I want to be a really good gunner, so I've got to focus on the starship gunnery feat. But the problem is if you do that, then you're not as good at using your options just in personal combat. So that is one of the keys to the system. Another is that we have a upgrade system so that as you gain levels, your ship can go up in tiers, which assumes that you've been calling in favors and saving up money and, and uh, people are, are getting you upgrades and you're scavenging stuff from the other ships you blow up. And we don't really go into detail about that because we don't want you to have to track another whole resource of how many widgets have we grabbed off of other starships. We just say at this point your ship is likely to be this tier, and since it is that tier, here are the various upgrades you get. And a lot of groups that I've talked to get together and get really into saying, hey, what should we get as our upgrades? Do, do we want to get another gun? Do we want to get a bigger starship? Do we just want to put in a medical bay because we keep getting shot up? Uh, and whatever it is, we've got the rules for that. Of course, there's only so much space in the core rulebook, so it's it's the core basic stuff. I hope that we will expand that more as the game grows. Um, but that allows players to really get into having a mobile base of operation and you can name it you can figure out how to fight with it in combat and if there's some weakness you discover while you all are playing with it then the next time your starship goes up to a higher tier you can use the upgrade system to patch whatever hole you found I, I, I gotta say, it's something that does sound like it's gonna be a lot of fun, especially because you guys have those Starship tiles that are coming out, and with the advent of 3D printers, you can 3D print your own Starships, but you guys also have licensed miniatures as well. Yeah, we've got uh, Digivision is working on licensed Starship miniatures, and I've seen some of the prototypes for that, and they're pretty cool. Um, and we do have the pawn sets, which tend to have starships in them. Uh, at least some of them do. You can read on the back and see whether or not there are starships the ones you have. Uh, but I've also seen people using a whole bunch of stuff for starship miniatures when doing starship combat. We do starship combat on a one-inch hex grid. But if you've got micro-machines or there are some companies that make little erasers in starship shapes or a whole lot of board games have little figures you can use. Um, and in a worst case scenario, right, you can you can sketch a little tiny outline of what you want your starship to be on a piece of paper and just glue that to a piece of cardboard and move that around. Um, those all work really well. It's, it's just like regular miniatures, except that in this case it's vehicles. So a lot of people don't restrict themselves to Pathfinder miniatures, though we love it when you buy our product, obviously. <laughs> um, and it will take time for us to have a large collection of starships to use. So, I mean, I've got I've got a bunch of uh, Star Wars miniatures from back when I was doing question and answers about the Star Wars miniature games. Um, and there are new Star Wars games since that even. And those work just fine for it. And so do a whole lot of other things. I was about to say, when you mentioned Micro Machines, I remembered I used to have a bunch of those Star Trek miniatures from Micro Machines right. in the 90s. And I'm really kicking myself in the ass that I got rid of those now. <laughs> That'd be kind of awesome for this. E eBay can be your friend. Um, <laughs> and, and Starfleet Battles uh, has miniatures that you can frequently buy, and Mongoose has done uh, Star Trek miniatures. There's a lot of stuff out there. <clears throat> and actually, if you go on our forums, uh, the Paizo forums, frequently people will post where they found, hey, here's a bag of 50 plastic starships for 10 bucks, which I bought, and half of them are really cool. See, I think this game's going to open up a whole new market into miniatures and people customizing things, much like the kind of miniatures market today when people have their own little Pathfinder characters and whatnot. I'm really excited to see what's going to come out of this game's um, uh, 
third parties and second and secondary partners because there's going to be a lot of exciting possibilities for new product, but also the kind of homebrew market as well. Yeah, I mean, uh, Paizo supports a very strong third-party Starfinder miniature mark. Uh, sorry. PDF market, even print. Point is, third-party RPG books for Starfinder. Starfinder compatible. There's a Starfinder compatibility license. Paizo gave a number of publishers advanced versions of the rules so that they could have products out on the very first day that Starfinder was available. Uh, there's a lot of that stuff is sold on Paizo.com. And if you go to Paizo.com, on the left-hand side of the screen, there is a Starfinder forum link. So you can click on that and be taken to the Starfinder forums. And one of those forum sets is third-party publishing. So we actually advertise and let other third-party publishers come on to our forums and talk about their products. And the fans can find out about them and do reviews. And all that stuff is available right there. And that's something that I think Paizo has been exceptional at, is really supporting the third party and the fan community. And I understand there's actually going to be a Starfinder Society set up as well, correct? Yeah, Starfinder Society uh, is available right now. So that is organized play for Starfinder. Uh, uh, Thurston Hillman is the primary coordinator for that, and he works with our existing Starfinder team, uh, John Compton and uh, Linda Zayas Palmer and uh, Tony Wildridge are all assisting him in putting together and running. Uh, I believe they're doing a scenario every month. So there's an adventure coming out. You can get together with your friends, go look up. And again, that's all stuff you can find on our website. Um, so you can look up how to join and where people are running games near you, or you can even start running your own games. And that's a great way for people who might not have a whole game group or want to get around with some people that will play the game uh, on a regular basis without them necessarily having to do it in their own living room. I find that a lot of people enjoy the social aspect of being able to get together with organized play. And so this is similar to, but separate from the Pathfinder Society organized play. Well, I know this is something that I'll definitely be seeking out in my area. Uh, I, and hopefully, like I said, we'll be playing this on the show here, TerribleWarriors.com, sometime in the future. But, Owen, one final question I have to ask you, and I ask this of, ev of everybody involved in game design, especially when it involves, you know, this fantasy settings. And because this is a space fantasy, weaponry is a huge thing. And I want to ask you, how easy is it to kill the Tarrasque in Starfinder? <laughs> so, you know how I said it was easy to convert monsters from Pathfinder over to Starfinder? Yeah. Uh, the Tarrasque sort of pushes the limit of that. Arguably, it's actually harder to kill the Tarrasque because doing that ultimately requires access to powerful magical options that weren't even common in Pathfinder. And now that people have a lot of technology, that has reduced the amount of time people do studying magic, because why learn a light spell when you can just buy a flashlight? So I'm not saying that you can't do it, but it's actually probably easier, rather than killing the Tarrasque, to get a giant starship with a tractor beam and a scoop and move him someplace harmless, because the Tarrasque <laughs> doesn't fly. So you don't want to drop him onto the sun because there are actually a few settlements on the surface of the sun, weirdly. But pick a nice big asteroid or nudge him gently out into deep space. The only problem is at that point you have to make sure no one else comes along and relocates him because the Tarrasque is himself a weapon of mass destruction. 
Well, guys, you heard it here. This is one strategy to kill the Tarrasque. I'm hoping to kill him at some point in my role-playing career. It is on my role-play bucket list. Owen, I gotta thank you for taking time out of your absurdly busy schedule to come and speak with us here today on Terrible Warriors. Thank you so much for having me. Always a pleasure. All right, guys, that was my interview with Owen Casey Stevens. He is the creative lead over creative designer over at Paizo. I always get his title mixed up. I'm so sorry. It's, it's technically Starfinder Design Lead. Starfinder Design Lead. He'll never let me forget that. <laughs> <laughs> but no, seriously, it, 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 it's been a fantastic time talking with people like Owen to kind of get insights into the industry that I guess we're kind of a part of now of Terrible Wars since we've been doing the show now for five years, over 100 episodes. We've launched a spin-off podcast. Lots of cool things. But guys, you should go down to your local brick-and-mortar retailers, try and get a hold of this. If not, you can order from Amazon. You can order from Paizo.com directly. There is no reason why you shouldn't check this out because it's it's wizards, it's swords, but it's also plasma rifles and dragons with grenade launchers. God, I never thought I'd say that phrase out loud. But anyway, guys, you should check this out. Like I said, Paizo.com, Starfinder is available wherever fine role-playing books are found. I've been your host for this evening, Mike the Birdman Dodd, saying live free or die hard, and I'll catch you guys again next time right here on TerribleWarriors.com. Terrible Warriors.